This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Today is Sunday, November 25th, 2018, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Coffin this week. Today's show, featuring the Athletics' Jared Weiss, is brought to you by Robinhood. Get a free stock when you sign up at celtics.robinhood.com. Today's show is also brought to you, but guess what? The Athletic gets your subscription to The Athletic today for less than $3 a month by going to theathletic.com slash Celticsbeat. Another edition of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. Evan Valenti with you guys. First and foremost, before we get to Jared Weiss of The Athletic, I want to tell you guys, make sure you subscribe to this show on iTunes, on Stitcher. Subscribe to CLNS Media uh, on our YouTube page. The 18,000 of you that do, the 18,000 plus, you guys are amazing. But just get it out of the way. Adam Coffin will be back next week. This week off for the holiday. Be back next week uh, in full bloom, of course, with Adam and the rest of the show. But in the meantime, let's bring in our guest for today, the Athletics' Jared Weiss. Jared, how was your Thanksgiving, my friend? It was good. First time in my parents' new place, and it's yeah. uh, down in Plymouth, Mass. It's beautiful out here. Nice. Plymouth, huh? Well, that's like the OG place for Thanksgiving, then. It's true. Uh, Columbus did not make it this time, unfortunately. I did see the Plymouth Rock on Thanksgiving, and... My only thing I had to say after seeing how tiny the rock was was, yeah. fuck Thanksgiving. Well, let's unroll this for a minute. Is Let me ask you a question. Is Plymouth Rock on Thanksgiving an actual tourist destination, or is that like just me manufacturing this in my own head? There were like people there. Yeah. yeah there, there was like a tour guide there who's yeah. freezing ass off. I think technically I went on Friday, actually, so oh, okay. it wasn't technically Thanksgiving anymore. Okay. But, I mean, the rock still is still in the really, spirit, though. You're still in the spirit of Thanksgiving still, at this point. I was still full off of the gravy. But, yeah, it, the thing is tiny. It's a joke. It's, it's like the size of the desk that I'm sitting at right now. I think, really? I think it's genuinely five or six feet wide. It's not it's, – like it's, it's a normal boulder, basically. I feel like in textbooks, like when you read about Plymouth Rock, and it's like some giant, ma- massive piece of – rock and in reality it's like as big as a desk that's like just okay how so you are you walk up to it right it's the first time you've seen Plymouth Rock you walk up to it and you're like this is it like this is I'll be frankly honest with you and I'll make another it's actually might be more slanderous than what you just said (laughs) you ever have you been uh have you been to France I have yeah okay have you have you been in the Louvre not inside but outside I thought it was I thought it lived up to what I thought it would be I'll tell you what doesn't live up to the expectations is the Mona Lisa itself Mona Lisa is in a museum full of unbelievable artwork, right? I mean, it's just murals everywhere. It's unbelievable. And then you get to the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa is in like a glass case. It is – it's not big. It's very – it's like you would expect like this just grand 
awesome piece of artwork and you walk up to it and you're like, that's the Mona Lisa and there's all this other stuff like around that's like way more impressive than this thing. I don't mean to like slander, you know, the Louvre or anything, but out of all the things in that museum, I'm like, I don't, that's like one of the things I was least impressed by, to be frankly honest with you. Well, so I was going to try to look it up before I talk. It's been too late now. Yeah. So I did the MoMA last week yeah. in New York, and it was funny because I, I decided not to do any research beforehand and know what they had. Yeah. I figured they probably have some pretty amazing stuff. I walk in, first room, I'm like, oh, these are cool. I see some Picasso, some stuff I really like. Yeah. I turn the corner, and right around like this wall that's like, kind of in the middle of the room is Starry Night by Van Gogh, yeah. which is probably the most iconic painting besides the Mona Lisa in the world, or at least in Western it's up, society. It's, it's up there. It's up there. Yeah, and it actually kind of like blew me away. I was amazed. But then I ended up seeing – the thing is it was relatively small. It's the size of like a relatively small painting you'd have in your house. And then I keep going, and then Jackson Pollock's most famous work mm-hmm. where it's like all the swirls and everything is in a room, and it's literally the size of like the entire room. It must right. be like 25 feet across. It's insane. That's, that's what I'm looking that's for. That's I was expecting. I'm yeah. like – you know, if you go to Rome and you see the Sistine Chapel, like you look up at the ceiling, you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And this is like, this is unbelievable. Imagine Michelangelo like painting that on his back on scaffolding. Like, what? How do you even, how do you put that in your, like, how do you transfer that from your head to the, to not canvas, but to the, the ceiling, so to speak, right? It's like a guy playing a guitar solo. Like some guys. When you watch a play guitar, like you watch like Eric Clapton play guitar, how does he get from his head to his fingers, right? Because it's all just by feel and touch and by like what's going through at that moment. For Michelangelo, it's like how in the hell did you project what you had in your head to this massive ceiling? It That's like literally takes your breath away. Meanwhile, like the Mona Lisa, like I just can go pound sand. And that's been art talk here on Celtics Beat here on CLNS well, Media. one thing we know is that the Mona Lisa is – just like the Celtics, because you have great expectations and it's completely underwhelming. Well, that's let's start there. I mean, the seas have been. And what's interesting, Jared, to me, like obviously we're all pressing different variations of the panic button, right? Like there's like you know code red and there's code orange, and we're not that far into the season. But the rest of the Eastern Conference, like there's not a lot of separation anywhere. I mean, the the NBA world right now is kind of turned upside down anyway. Look at that Western Conference. The Clippers are in first place. The 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 Warriors lost four games in a row. Like the the entire NBA is a little out of whack right now. As people are still feeling their way through the season. It's only November. There's so much more basketball to go. But, like, I feel like the entire well, – not the entire, but a lot of Celtics fans out there are, like, panicking for no re- – well, I mean, for some reason, but are just blowing everything out of proportion when everybody's kind of in the same boat. Like, look at Milwaukee. It's only a couple of games in the loss column ahead of Boston, and they have looked as impressive as anybody this season. So as much as I want to say, yeah, there's some stuff wrong, like everybody's kind of going through the same thing, I feel like, Jared. Am I, am I wrong on that? I disagree with that because I think the main issue we're seeing is that the teams that we think are going to be good, mm-hmm. except for Utah, who ironically thought would be a comparable team to Boston this uh, me year. Me too, me too. Is all those other teams were hurt. They all had injuries. I mean, Golden State obviously is hurt, mm-hmm. and also their team is falling apart, and Draymond Green destroyed them. Uh, <laughs> Again. Then, you know, Houston was hurt or suspended because their players are too busy beating the crap out of each other. So, you know, all those teams, L.A. too, all those teams are dealing with injuries. So that's why Memphis and the Clippers, who are good teams that were healthy, I think have been able to jump out. And, of course, in the West, I think the the top ten teams are all essentially equally good as each other. Like, they're all 
their records are all like one or two games apart. They're essentially the same. Um, The East has a little bit more dichotomy to it. But so Boston is healthy. Uh, I mean, obviously Gordon is making, you know, Gordon's still early in his recovery. Kyrie is still also recovering, even though he's looked really good so far. Um, But my, I mean, the main concern is that their effort has been mediocre. Um, Their chemistry is off. They're not, they're not in sync with each other the way that they just nailed it last year. And it's a lot of just the kind of cliche stuff is not working out, but I think it's the truth. It's like they're not doing all the kind of the basics that make you a good winning team of extra effort, good execution, coordination, knowing the plays, that kind of thing. Their plays continue in the half court to break down halfway through all the time and guys keep going for isolation stuff. All the stuff that we've been saying about Jalen and Jason and Rogier needing to fix still hasn't fixed. I really like the moving Hayward to the bench for now. I mean, I said before the season, I think on this podcast, I said that like Hayward's not, it's not going to start and Aaron Baines is going to start a lot of the times during the first couple months of the season because mm-hmm. Hayward's not really going to be close to himself until about Christmas. So everything is happening with Hayward so far. I think it's actually been pretty fine. He's yeah. been pretty much as I expected and putting him with the second unit, I think is as much about helping the second unit as it is and really both units as much as it is for helping him because He's a little tentative with the starters. I think he'll be, he seems to be less tentative playing with the second unit. And he gives them some options besides Rogier attacking or Smart attacking. And Smart was attacking too much. And they're balanced there. And they needed someone who could be kind of like intimidating, physically intimidating and aggressive with the first unit and putting Morris or Baines in there allows them to do that. Yeah, I I want to get back to a lot of what you just said because there's a lot of stuff in there. But the Hayward specifically, like, I'm actually thoroughly impressed with how comfortable he's starting to look right now because, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine going through what he went through than trying to, like, play at an NBA, like, the highest level humanly possible, right? And what are the, some of the things you're starting to see, like, from a, an IQ standpoint on both ends of the floor, like, defensively, like, the other night he got switched up against Trey Young. And normally that's a, you know, Trey Young's like pretty quick. And for those of you that haven't watched the Hawks outside of one game, like Trey Young's actually like not bad. He's pretty good. Uh, very quick guard and has, has great vision, has good instincts. Uh, but Hayward stuck right with him and it altered the shot. He altered a couple of shots in the Atlanta game that I was really impressed by. Position wise, he's been really good. But the offensive stuff, when they run, make him, like let him run point guard basically and let him run the offense. His vision is unbelievable. He had a dump off pass to Tice the other night that I thought was spectacular. That little uh, pick and roll. Oh he, my goodness! Really nice. I yeah. like. Ju- I like. I didn't jump out of my chair, but like I kind of like riz- rose up a little bit out of my chair, like just because that was like a, just a beautiful basketball play. His just IQ and feel for the game is really starting to come back. And the jump shot thing, like what, like this whole team is suffering from. Just uh, they just miss a bunch of jump shots. They just haven't been able to knock them down, but. Once he gets more comfortable shooting basketball and shooting threes again, like pull-up threes, not even just like catch-and-shoot threes, but just coming on. Like the, I think it was against Atlanta. He's up at the right side. I think he's kind of running the break a little bit and just took a pull-up three from the right wing and buried it. I'm like, that's the stuff that's going to come as he gets more confident. And when he really starts to execute and you throw – like I like the fact that he's on the second unit right now. I'm with you on that. I think it's actually a good move. If he's going to be part of that second unit, and they're going to run out Rozier, Smart, Hayward, three different ball handlers on an offense and a second unit is something that I don't think a lot of teams have around the NBA, Jared. Yeah, that's what made them so special coming into the season. And, you know, Hayward, I think Hayward's struggles was that he was trying to run the plays that were designed, and he's still learning those and still getting rhythm for those. 
And I think we see with the second unit, a lot of it is him just kind of running basic actions, basic pick and roll and things like that. So, I mean, I don't remember if like the pass that you're talking about where he was in the right corner and then got like a, he got like basically a a pin, a wide pin down into the corner for Tice and started driving towards the middle and then slipped at the Tice who was going baseline. He had a couple plays like that. And I think those plays are mostly just kind of simple read and react stuff, which is what they were doing at the beginning of last season where they were really dominating. It was mostly read and react type of uh, offense. And it means that when you're doing it that way, most of the time guys aren't stopping and starting when they're trying to like run a, when they're trying to make a curl or whatever, it's like, you just, you see what's going on, you filter your spot and you let the action happen. There's less, I mean, there's been a lot of issues so far, especially with Hayward, who I think is still learning the playbook a lot is like him running into other guys while they're trying to execute like guys literally crossing into each other, you know, kind of stuff that's like kind of amateurish level execution. So making it a lot more simple for him allows him to get comfortable, allows him to kind of grow. And then once he has that rhythm, then you move him back into the starting lineup a little bit more. Or, I mean, they should probably alternate it night by night anyway. But I think that that three that on the break was really crucial because I saw, you know, he was kind of like, fa- like kind of fading to the corner. And it was a catch and shoot. He got good wrist snap on it, and he nailed the shot. Seeing him do that kind of stuff is really vital. Because so much of his shooting so far has been like him wide open at the top of the key, or maybe coming over a screen and trying to get to this like standard mid range pull up. But seeing him kind of flying off the ball, not being part of the design plane, being able to catch and shoot—that's the kind of stuff that you need him to be able to do it more and more. Because the whole point of Hayward is you don't really call plays for him. He's able to create a play when he wants to, but he's supposed to be kind of, you know, waiting in the shadows for his opportunity to attack. Quick break from Jared to tell you today's show is brought to you by Robinhood. It's never a bad time to start thinking about your investment portfolio, whether you're looking to buy or sell stocks, crypto, ETFs. Make sure you sign up for Robinhood today. And I know markets can be complicated. Okay, look at the market right now. It's gotten the way down, right? This is a perfect time for you to buy and what to buy you have no idea that's how that's why you got to sign up for Robinhood because Robinhood makes everything easy for you they're going to build you your own customized news feed right when you sign up they sort certain stocks for you in different collections like the top 100 right the most popular social media pharmaceutical and you're going to learn more about this technology the integration technology as you go along get started today sign up super easy and all it takes is four taps on your phone to start trading the best part is robin hood doesn't does not charge commission fees you keep all of your profits ingenious right robin hood is giving listeners a free stock like apple or ford or sprint to help you build your portfolio sign up today Celtics.robinhood.com. Sign up today at Celtics.robinhood.com. Back to Jared. So we're recording this before the Dallas game Saturday night. Going into this game, Boston, again, up and down throughout the entire season. Were they 10 and 9 right now going into tonight, I think, right? Am I got that right? Right, yeah. right. 10 and 9. A um, couple of things that you mentioned a couple of t- takes ago about what else also plaguing this team. I have two things, that, and one of them you mentioned. One of them is execution. I think even late game execution, they just don't 
they, they on both ends. I think they they lose guys on the defensive end that they don't normally do. I mean, this is a team that does put the, out the extra effort defensively normally. And at the end of games, I just don't think they execute. I remember having a conversation with everybody's Twitter favorite Twitter follower or follow is Michael Thompson, who is just amazing and interacts <laughs> with everybody on Twitter. I don't care who you are, he interacts with everybody, which makes it great. But I'd ask him like months ago about how like what what does Boston do? against Golden State that other teams don't do because Boston always tends to play the Warriors really tough. And I don't even care what year it is. They just tend to raise their level of competition up. And Michael um, said they execute in the fourth better than most teams do against Golden State. Instead of getting down when, you know, teams, you know, when they when, when Golden State makes a run, and it's so backbreaking sometimes with Durant and Thompson and Curry, it's like, geez, where does it, when does it end? Boston shakes it off and just runs their stuff, and they get back and under the floor, and they dig in defensively, and they execute. So I, I think that's been such a big problem for them on both ends, not getting, you know, not finishing your defensive possession with an offense with a, with a rebound, letting the team get two, three, four opportunities at a shot in the half court, not going to work. Other end. And that guys run into each other. They're they're playing too ISO heavy basketball. They're not finished. They're not they're not setting screens well. Uh, they're not finishing plays. Sloppy passes. The execution stuff has been really bothering me. Have you been able to talk to Brad or anybody talk to Brad about late game execution? What they need to do better later on as the season gets going here? Yeah, he. Um, I feel like most of the late game stuff has been him being annoyed that guys were failing to execute on defense where they were screwing up assignments and then or communication and then. He's, I think most of the last few games for home games, he has chalked up late game losses to poor shooting mm-hmm. and just like the ball not going through. So basically no really, you yeah. know, clear explanation essentially, right. which is kind of true. I feel like, I mean, in the, was it the New York game where oh. they just missed a bunch of like shots that yeah. should have gone down, but you know, in, in the New York game, a lot of it was just like New York's offense kind of boils down to isolation from their scoring guards late in the game. And a lot of those shots were well contested and they buried them. I mean, Boston had a run over the last week and a half of like a lot of really good, like a lot of great crunch time shooting that was pretty well contested. So that game didn't strike me as a complete failure at the end of the game. I think it's just that they've had, they've fallen back into that habit that they've kind of always had on Brad Stevens teams of falling into big holes and trying to dig themselves out of it. Yeah. That's, like, it gets about, annoying after a while. Trust me. It's just not fun. The Kemba game the other night, like Marcus is trying so hard to stick with him and he's just tough. He's, he runs through all these screens to get the ball. And then all of a sudden he's, once he has the ball, he's really tough to stop and, and stay in front of And The Kemba the other night was like Kobe Bryant esque. Like it was just an unbelievable shooting performance. And, Again, the, the late game stuff is interesting. He, he, you know, so again, I agree with you though that some of the, and I agree with Brad that some of it's been like a make or miss thing. But I think another part of this is, like, I don't think roles are clearly defined here. I think a lot of guys are like either too focused on making the best, like to make the perfect play, to like play perfect basketball, or maybe like in the case of having too many isolation scores in the team at the same, at, on the floor at the same time, like when you have. Tatum and Kyrie and, and Morris in the floor at the same time. Like sometimes I can get a little convoluted. I don't think, I think guys are just thinking too much. I, I think there's just, nobody has an idea of what their role is outside of like Kyrie of give me the ball, get out of the way. I'm going to just, I'm just going to take over now. That's what I feel like. That's true. And I mean, that's, we, we feel that Tatum and Brown are the guys we notice that the most with probably because they're on the floor more than anybody mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, but they don't seem to be comfortable with the drive and kick scheme that they were really good in last year. It's like it's not really happening with them. They're and they're falling back. I mean, them, those two in Hayward, 
their driving skills are like, or I guess like the way that they're choosing to drive, it's like they're doing the same thing between all of them. There's not much variability there. So, I mean, I don't really know what changes it, obviously. Um, they haven't been – one thing I've noticed that's been surprising is we thought coming into the year they'd be drawing a ton of switches on pick and rolls, and they could then get those guys down to the block and give them you know clear out so they could have a mismatch on the post-up. We haven't seen much of that. And Tatum has I – mean, Tatum has been playing the way he played in the first summer league game where – like the first summer league game he played back in 2017. Right, the Philly. The, oh, it was yeah. San Antonio. Or no, it was Philly. It's Philly. It was, yeah, yeah. Or I guess maybe the first game at Vegas. But so yeah. it was, people were freaking out, going like, wow, look at him scoring so many points. And I was like, that was nice. But all of his points were basically like post moves where he did like fadeaways and stuff like that. The kind of stuff you don't really want him taking. And of course he transformed. But that's like all the stuff he's doing now. When he's getting a post up, he's not using his reach or his technique to really get around the guy and finish consistently i mean he's doing it but just not reliably enough but he's settling for a lot of step back 18 footers and he's missing a lot of them because it's not really a good shot even if it's a shot that he can hit and Kyrie falls into that habit as well where Kyrie loves taking a lot of really terrible shots because there's the degree of difficulty is so high and it's a two-pointer so it's like doesn't really give you any bonus for creativity it's still worth two points right and this team is so good about realizing the virtue of that two years ago and they're not doing it anymore because of the, the kind of personnel they have. And that, I think that's the one area where it's on Brad to try to fix it is he has to somehow convince these guys to stop taking difficult shots and keep, keep working to find easy shots, keep running their system and running that cycle of dribble handoff, you know, pick or screen on the elbow to keep trying to drive and kick and just kind of turn it over and over again like they used to do. And that's what made them so st- hard to stop. And, and I feel like a lot of the times when they when they get out of that mode, right, of the of the, the beautiful offense, the flowing offense, the, the dribble handoffs, the driving, all that stuff, a lot of that happens like – and then once the ball seems to find like uh, Al Horford again, things get kind of like back into place. And I'll be honest with you, since Al's been out, I've been really impressed with how well Aaron Baines has played. And you forget how skilled he is. I mean, you know, he he's a bigger guy. He he actually I, the the one thing that was was staggering like last year was when he stood next to Dwight Howard and Dwight Howard looked small next to Baines. Like I thought that was one of the most <laughs> outrageous things. I, I was like, wait a minute, what? I thought well, Howard was a Howard is like huge, but Baines is like just oh, it just dwarfs him. It's crazy. But Baines thing, is super skilled for a guy that size. The thing is, one thing people don't realize is so Dwight Howard's actually really skinny. Like he has like a really narrow torso, kind of like how Tatum does. Yeah. But it's just like his shoulders are so ridiculously huge. Mm. But he actually doesn't look as gigantic as Baines does in person. Because Baines, his body is like a giant square. While like Dwight is like the more like kind of like Greek trapezoid. I wish people could see your hand motions right now. They're fantastic. You're like. I hope everybody can see me. Yeah. Just imagine an imaginary booty basically. Yeah. Right. It's. Like it's it's but like the, I was really surprised when I first met Dwight like five years ago yeah. that he was way smaller than I thought he was going to be. Like his his shoulders are still insane, but like his body is way smaller than I thought it would be. So I hit the Ojale factory, loser. <laughs> dude, uh, that's a beast. That yeah. dude is the same beast. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've I've noticed lately. I think I think that Brad. And again, you've talked about Brad like kind of learning how this team functions and. And trying to, it is on Brad to kind of make sure these guys understand like what their roles are and, and, and to make sure that they stop taking terrible shots. I do think that Brad has figured out what their best five is. 
And I was thinking, like I saw it the other night, I forget what game it was, where I was like, oh, this unit plays really well together. I like the way these guys look together. So I looked it up on NBA Stats. And this is as of Saturday before the Dallas game. I think they're crunch time five, quote-unquote, because everybody loves to use that. Kyrie, Tatum, Hayward, Morris, Horford. Together on the floor, they've played 28 minutes. Offensive rating, 123.6. Defensive rating, 86.2, which is a net of 37.5. Those guys together give you a little bit of everything, a little creation. There's a little too much ISO scoring there, but there's so many threats off the dribble between Kyrie, Tatum, Hayward, Morris, and even like Horford when he's he recognizes a mismatch when he has one. Like there's just that offensive unit is so diverse. And then you have all the length on the floor. The only guy that's not a good individual defender is Kyrie, but everybody else is six seven and up. And that's a terrifyingly you know diverse lineup on both ends of the floor. I think, you know, by the time we're at the end of the season, Jared, that's going to be the team, uh, provided that Hayward gets back to somewhat of the guy we, we know he can be, that's going to be the unit that finishes games for them. It's funny. I thought that you were going to say instead of Hayward, Smart, because I think Smart's been that guy. The Marcus is pretty good. The Marcuses are the guys that have been holding it down, and Smart's offensive numbers are always going to be nauseating, but – his assist to turnover ratio, and when it's good, that makes him really impactful. And like we saw in that Atlanta game, I mean, his defense was just unbelievable. unbelievable. He terrorized Atlanta. You know, I, like I tweeted, he had the trifecta of he had the Cobra strike when the point yep. guards walked the dog. Mm-hmm. He had the um, he pulled the chair on a big. Yeah, they could post him up. And then he had my favorite, my absolute favorite thing he does, which because yeah. it's so subtle, is what I call like the Cobra latch, which is. It's like it's when a venomous snake just latches onto your leg and slowly kills you instead of trying to eat you. Where you, see <laughs> you see somebody come down with a rebound, yeah, and instead of going up for the rebound, he kind of lurks underneath them, and then as soon as they get the ball and it's a little exposed, he just reaches in and grabs it with one mm-hmm. arm and just holds onto it for dear life. Yeah, and they try to like shake him like you're shaking off a cobra, but you're you're dead at that point. It's too you, late. You gotta be the first person to come up with that. Have you trademarked that? The cobra. What do you call that? The cobra snatch. What do you call that? <laughs> like, what do we call like, that? Cobra latch. Latch. Cobra... <laughs> Either way, yeah. I think it still works. I've so, never been murdered by a snake before, but I'm pretty sure that's how. That's it works. how it goes. Uh, that, look, yeah. you're an expert. I, I look. I there. Yeah, that's the trifecta. The only other thing I like. I like when Marcus Smart out rebounds like seven footers. Like when he boxes out Porzingis, I think it's the funniest thing. Yeah, that's always funny. There's yeah. a foot difference between the two guys and Smart's like it reminds me of that story when Perry Jones and Marcus Smart played in, they played a game in high school against each other. Oh, and, that sounds horrible for Perry Jones. Yeah, and Perry Jones is like this big high touted prospect. And I, I still I still stand for Perry Jones. I loved him at Baylor, he was great. Um <laughs> But he uh he was there was this big match between Marcus and Perry, and Perry was in a more well known prospect. And Marks went in that game was like, I got him and like shut him down the whole game and didn't let him really do anything like, you know, Perry Jones esque, but, uh, poor one out for former Celtic Perry Jones too, which is well, that's right. the third. He wasn't yeah. the first or the second. No, he would fit in with the three sticks, you know, on this team. You know, Rozier right. obviously holding that down pretty well, but, um, and by the way, Smart has three turnovers in his last four games and he had a seven to one assist to turnover ratio. That's incredible. Against Atlanta and then four to one against New York. So yeah, that, that I think even though he, he shot two for 10 combined in those two games. It was terrible offensively. His distribution was good. I think that's what you're looking for as the marker for his impact. Right. I, I think, you know, it reminds like that those numbers are like Rozier in the playoffs last year numbers. Those were 
Rozier last year in the playoffs was like a, was just an amazing, uh, amazing point guard and didn't turn the ball over at all, especially at home. One more break from Jared to tell you today's show is also brought to you by The Athletic. And if you haven't heard about The Athletic by now, you must be living under a rock. You must be off the grid at this point because these guys have been crushing every single element of sports coverage imaginable. We're looking for specific local coverage with beat guys or sports discussed under a national lens. Anything in between that, too. you got to make sure you take a look at The Athletic. No pop-ups, no ads, just high-quality content waiting behind every single click. And the Celtics beat, right, the beat writers, just stacked with great guys. Jay King, I mean, we had him on the show a couple weeks ago, wrote a great piece about Marcus Martin, who writes great stuff all the time. You got to make sure you're on top of it with Jay King, Jared Weiss, of course, on this show. We're going to discuss an article he wrote uh, concerning Markel Fultz a little bit on this show, so stay tuned for that. Clevis Murray, both Jared and Clevis used to work for CLNS, and now they're working for the Athletic. Absolutely stacked coverage, head to toe, every click with the Athletic. You can't get content like this anywhere else. 600 to 750 new articles a week. Who else is putting out quality content like that? Nobody in the game putting out quality content like that. And if you have not signed up for The Athletic yet, take advantage of this deal because it's not going to last forever. Go to theathletic.com slash CelticsBeat and get 40% off your monthly subscription. That's your subscription for 600 to 750 new articles a week for less than 3 bucks a month just by going to theathletic.com slash CelticsBeat. Jay King, Jared Weiss, Sam Amick, Sham Sharania, all that and more for less than three bucks a month. Sign me up. Sign yourself up too at theathletic.com slash Celticspeed. Can we just very quickly just say all the Anthony Davis rumors are really dumb and we don't have to talk about this till next season because this is just ridiculous. I'm sorry. Like, I, I know Chris Sheridan has a job to do and like he's very well sourced um, and, you know, obviously has done his own thing or whatever, but. Like, we all know this Rose rule that the, the, the Celtics can't get Anthony Davis, cannot acquire Anthony Davis until Kyrie signs his new contract. And Well, maybe they give Anthony Davis and the Celtics pick him up off waivers. Absolutely. And there, you know what? All, all whatever 30 teams will pass on Anthony Davis and let – Absolutely. Uh, or 29 teams. Well, if the Celtics have the worst record in the league, then they get the first claim. That's so that's maybe true. that's what they're doing. They're tanking so they can claim that's Davis. Smart. Off that's smart. That's it's smart. It's like trade in September. That's, that's some next. See, only Danny Ainge can come up with that kind of. That's probably Mike <laughs> Zarin, actually. Mike probably came up with that. Mike's pretty smart. Yeah, um, Mike's going to do that. Last yeah. thing before I get you out of here. You wrote some really interesting stuff about Markel Fultz recently for your employer, The Athletic. Um, some interesting injury news we didn't know about. Maybe a new injury. And we all know he wants to be traded because he's having a rough time in Philly. Get us up to speed on Markel Fultz here, Jared. Yeah, so I've been working on this investigation for a little while, which is why people are complaining I wasn't writing anymore. I was writing plenty of notes, that's for sure. Just yeah. couldn't come to you yet. But so what we uncovered in our investigation was that Fultz has something wrong with his wrist. And this is something that I've that I've been hearing about for a while now. And the more that we kind of dug around, the more we realized this is something that is be is is presenting as an issue right now and it's something that's being looked at and it was funny because right like literally right before we were about to kind of close the door on the story and publish it uh the raymond brothers statement came out through david aldridge who thankfully was a colleague of mine so yes. i was able to rope david in on the story uh it's the beauty of working for the athletic yeah and so um 
And so when we found out that Brothers was shutting him down, it was something that I that I kind of was expecting was going to come once we put out the report. But we that actually blindsided us. And so we had to kind of like quickly scramble to figure out, you know, exactly how this was going to affect the story. And then we, you know, we confirmed that the wrist was going to be a part of this examination, which kind of furthermore confirmed that our reporting was correct. But basically, uh, we're leaving, you know, it's, it's kind of a vague, mysterious situation that nobody's really been able to get a clear understanding of in his camp with the Sixers, with everybody. The Sixers. Uh, have been telling us that they weren't aware of the wrist injury. Um, I, I don't have access to their medical records and their, their team, Jeez. but you know, we what's in the report is is extremely correct as far as I as far as I'm concerned, based off all the reporting. But so they there's something wrong with his wrist, and it affects his ability to hold the ball and to follow through. Yikes! And it certainly seemed to start with the shoulder, which is funny because. Maybe like a you know a couple of months ago when I first kind of started looking into this, I really thought the shoulder was BS. I figured it was a cover for everything, and then the more I dug into it, the more I really started to learn that the shoulder was a very legitimate thing. And frankly, it seemed that you know they seemed to say that the shoulder was fixed back in February. Maybe it was a semantics thing, but either way, the shoulder was not has not been fixed. Maybe he recovered and was ready to play again. Certainly, but the shoulder has not been fixed. And if you well, the funny part was I didn't even need sourcing to kind of just understand the situation because there were so many comments that left so many clues publicly from the Sixers. The Sixers have done a pretty remarkable job of not unequivocally stating that Markel Fultz does not have anything wrong with him. They've been very clear in stating that Markel Fultz is healthy enough to play and does not have any injuries that would prevent him from playing or put him in harm's way on the basketball court. So there's their phrasing has been very, very particular. And that's what kind of made me think that there really is a thread to unravel here. And so I brought, so once I got all the information in the story, I brought in Derek Bodner and Sam Amick, Derek Bonner is our Sixers guy. Amick is one of the best writers yeah, he's, in the country. He's, he's awesome. National writers. And we had a couple different things that we needed to like really – we needed a stronger confirmation on. And so Bonner was really instrumental in really helping me kind of making sure that I had every single angle covered, didn't have any blind spots in my reporting, um, identifying a few things that – uh, that were happening in Philly that I might have missed. And he had a few like details that were really vital to kind of pushing the story along and then bringing in Amick, he was able to get some really vital confirmations out of a source that we were trying to figure out the best approach to make, because, you know, with a lot of with this type of investigation, we spent so much time kind of deliberating on how to make our move in the best way possible, because it's such a sensitive topic and we were worried that if the Sixers were alerted to it, that they could shut everything down right away. Right. And then, of course, the Aldridge thing came out as we were finishing up the story. Yeah, panic attacks. It happened anyway, but yeah. we, we were able to make it work, thankfully. Right. But, um, and, you know, Shams Charania was also very instrumental in helping us at the very end when the, you know, when, when everything went, went awry. So having that team at the Athletic was really amazing. Um, but so, you know, Fultz, we talked to a lot of people that know Fultz well and have talked to Fultz. They all said that Fultz, Fultz has, been, has told them or they clearly understand that he would prefer to get a fresh start elsewhere. Yeah, I, I would uh, – I don't think anybody with two eyes and has followed the, the league for the past year I think uh, would understand that. It's just been I've – always, I've always thought this. I'm, I, 
I talked to Hanlon about this, and Hanlon, when I was like, you know, I'm not quite sure what Danny saw with Markel. So I asked the other flip side of, like, how well did Tatum look in workouts? He goes, because you know, Brad said, quote, something to this effect of, well, Tatum hit a lot of shots. And so I got out of Hanlon that at during their workout, Tatum shot roughly 80% from three in their workout, and that really impressed Danny. Uh, Hanlon says it's eighty-seven percent. He says eighty-seven. Okay. Yeah. Well, whatever. I've not independently verified it, but I've yeah. I did I verified it enough with Celtics brass that I put it in my story back in April. Yeah. yeah. So they said that they said that sounded close enough. So. Yeah, it's 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 approximately right. Which he is amazing. He, he, he like he said he had a lot of shots. Yeah. But there has to be something with Markel that Danny saw or knew or uncovered or something that. Leads me to believe that the guy that everybody was like, no, this is the guy that we all spent so much time watching him in college and analyzing everything he was doing. And he had so much, so many bright spots to his game. And then all of a sudden he hits the NBA and it's just like, he's just a shell of what he used to be. Like, I'm like, I'm not heartbroken over it, but like, I do root for the guy because I, I, I loved watching him at UW. He was a, he was so fun to watch. And I am rooting that he gets either a fresh start in Philly with a new mindset or gets a fresh start somewhere else because the guy I watched at UW was definitely clearly worthy of the number one pick in the draft, and he hasn't been anywhere close to that since. Well, I think the important thing with Fultz is that he is still amazing with the ball in his hands. Yeah. And he's he's really I mean he's he hasn't learned how to be a good defender in the half court but he's a great defensive playmaker I mean he can get up there and block shots he can pickpocket guys and go coast to coast he's a really explosive athlete I mean he's still once he gets all this stuff figured out I'm hoping he gets healthy mm. and he gets his mind right and he goes back to being a great player because he's a he's still a you know I put at the end of the story in the kicker and we edited it 30 times so I can't remember if I wrote this or my editor wrote this but right. um, I said like Fultz's potential is still very special and and then, but like he needs to get things right and Philly needs to figure it out stuff like that and someone like made a comment or sent me a tweet saying like clearly Fultz's people or Sixers people wrote that sentence and I was like no I, I didn't respond to it but no I wrote that sentence because I think it's ridiculous it's it's Why are you over- rooting against Markel Fultz? Why are you gonna yes, be a dick about it? Or you know, cricket. Like I'm, I'm rooting for Markel Fultz. I've been, right. I'm someone who loves the NBA. I want all these guys to do well. I certainly don't want a really good person who's going through a really difficult time for various reasons to not succeed exactly. because, because I don't have the vested bias of being a Celtics fan. Right. It's like I don't really, you know, I was attached to Fultz from just I was preparing to cover the guy because I assumed I was going to be covering him. So I was doing research and learning a story. And when you get to know someone, you develop a bit of an attachment to them. You have that for every player that you ever interact with, really, because you know them as a person and understand their story and you become inv- and you become invested in hoping that they do well, unless they're a complete scumbag, which is like very, very rare in this business. And so, um, but like, so I put that in there because it's really true in a report in which we're, putting in all these ways in which Fultz is struggling and which Fultz's career is in his future is being threatened that it's important to remember this guy can turn it around pretty frankly, maybe not easily, but like, it's not like he has like some sort of, as far as we know, some sort of torn ACL kind of thing or like yeah. something where it's like he literally can't jump. It's like, he's got something wrong with his shoulder and his wrist. He has a mental block that he has to work through. Those situations most likely can be fixed, and he can try to become a good enough shooter that he can be a really impactful player. 
And I think a big part of why he would prefer to leave Philadelphia is that he could be in a situation where there's not really pressure for him to grow rapidly, that he's not necessarily in the spotlight. He obviously recognizes now that he's on a team that's trying to win very soon, if not now. I mean, they're trying to prove this year that Jimmy Butler should stay. I don't think they're going to have too much of an issue with that, obviously. And really, the issue is going to be whether Jimmy Butler can get the five-year max out of them. But, I mean, it's a team that looks like it has increasingly less room for Markel Fultz to emerge into a superstar. And him going to somewhere like, I don't know, like Phoenix or Chicago or, you know, some some place that has cap space and has assets that they can trade and kind of is like kind of like a blank slate. Right. I think where he really should be going. Chicago is too big of a media market. Let's let's try something smaller like Phoenix. Phoenix would be all right. Phoenix has a great you know training staff too. Everybody talks about how good their training staff is. It may be a good spot for him to land. That's yeah. the Athletics. Jared Weiss can read uh, all his stuff, including this Markel Fultz report on theAthletic.com. Use our promo code Athletic.com/slash/Celticsbeat for forty percent off your monthly subscription. Jared, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, man. You guys are unbelievable. At the Athletic. Again, you. How many guys did you reference in, in helping you with the story? Sharania, Amick, Bodner. I mean, what Aldridge? Sure, all, sure. I mean, yeah. So the murderers row of writers over there. They have they have just the quality of content is unbelievable. Obviously, with you over there, with Clevis over there, with Jay King over there doing the Celtics stuff, you got they all have you covered. So, Jay, appreciate the time, man. Happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you soon. And that'll just about do it for this episode of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Adam Kaufman will be back next week. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher. Leave us a comment, a review, whatever you want to do. Leave us your feedback. We love your feedback. We love hearing how we can make this show better for you guys or if it's already the best show possible. Love hearing about that stuff too, so let us know about that. Subscribe to the CLNS uh, Media YouTube page as well as the 18,000 plus of you. You guys are absolutely incredible. I cannot believe there's so many of you. It's ridiculous. It's very humbling. Thank you for joining us on our journey. We're going to keep going here throughout the rest of the back of the season and the postseason. we got a long way to go. A lot of Celtics basketball to be played, so make sure you stay tuned for more of this show, mostly with Adam Kaufman. A couple of thank yous to throw out here with CLNS Media's CEO, Nick Gelso, Larry H. Russell, John Zanis, and Adam for letting me host this week. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it, buddy. But most of all, well, second most of all, thanks to Jared Weiss of The Athletic. And then most of all, thanks to you guys out there. And whatever, wherever you get your podcast. I'm not sure if it's online somewhere, if it's on the website, if it's on YouTube, if it's on Stitcher or iTunes, wherever you listen. I love the fact you listen to it. Thank you very much. We'll see you guys shortly. Another edition of Southwick Speed right here on CLNS Media.